Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. And the Knicks beat the Pelicans on Saturday night, 123 to 117. And Gavin, RJ Barrett, our favorite young star, uh, maybe we could say now, uh, put up a new career high on this game. Yeah, RJ Barrett, absolutely ridiculous on the night, a career high, 35 points. Uh, complimented by solid nights from Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, as the Knicks got a closer than expected 123 to 117 victory over the New Orleans Pelicans. We'll get into uh, why the Knicks uh, failed to close again to some extent, but still escaped anyways. Right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with the five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Tuck, tuck left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. It's tough. And he makes it. Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. Also, I'm writing about the Knicks for clutch points this year. And he is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And we want to just thank you guys for making us your first listen every day. It means a ton. We are on all of your favorite streaming services for free, as well as now on YouTube, which if you've not gone on there already you can see our beautiful faces on youtube right now uh if you go there subscribe to the show and you never watch another video that still helps us out a ton so if you wouldn't mind doing that maybe dropping a thumbs up on one of our pods from time to time that would be much appreciated uh but gavin something that i feel like dropping a thumbs up on right now is rj barrett's performance in this game against the Pelicans, uh, the very quick synopsis of the game, which I'm sure we can get into some of the more finer details in a minute, but the Knicks, base, I think they they led this wire to wire. I don't think there was ever a point where the Pelicans took a lead because uh, Clyde mentioned a number of times that, you know, like the Knicks have led throughout, the Pelicans have never taken the lead, but Pelicans did keep keeping things close. Of course, they were without Zion Williamson, which is nothing new, but they were without Brandon Ingram, which was something new. Uh, so they were without their two top players, and yet the Knicks still, to some degree, I mean, I wouldn't say struggled to keep them at arm's length, but they continually had to keep them at arm's length all night, which you maybe would hope to stop having to happen at a certain point. But ultimately, for what it gave us, I'm totally cool with it because we ended up with this R.J. Barrett masterpiece. 36 minutes, he scored 35 points on 12 of 18 shooting, Six of eight from three, five of six from the free throw line, eight rebounds, six assists, and only one turnover also, which is great. And, Gavin, the thing that stood out to me, and then I'll throw it to you just for, like, initial impressions of the RJ game, but the thing that stood out to me was that down the stretch on this Knicks team that has a number of guys that you could call alpha dogs, so to speak, or guys that, you know, traditionally in their career have been late-game alpha dogs like Julius Randle last year for the Knicks, like Kemba Walker for so many years of his career uh, with the Hornets and with the Celtics. And even Evan Fournier, who used to have to do that sort of thing with the Magic, they, the team as a whole trusted R.J. Barrett to close this game. And he came through in a huge way. I think he scored, I want to say, 15 points, if not like 13 in the fourth quarter. 
including like pretty much generating all of their points for the final few minutes of this game, which was enormous for the Knicks. So, uh, you know, I think that was the biggest thing that stood out to me. But what was the biggest thing that stood out for you with him in this, uh, you know, this whole huge career high setting game for him? I think it was that run where he scored nine straight. I think it was early in the third quarter, but I'll just, I'll just take it back to the beginning and go through the whole night for RJ Barrett. Because this was like, you, you talk about someone having a career game. Usually it's a step up from anything they've ever done before. This felt like two or three steps up from anything he's ever done before. This, this felt like a different type of, of player and just a, I mean, a mastery of all these different aspects of the game. And occasionally we'll see one or two things from RJ on a night to night basis. Tonight it felt like, Every, or last night rather it felt like every single part of his game was working perfectly so he started off drive to the basket one-handed push shot we, we've seen that he's gotten so much better at that shot this year um and it continues to flash then uh, between the legs straight into a three i'm loving the way that rj is able to sort of calmly generate rhythm for a standstill um for a three because last year i mean we were saying can he can he hit threes off one dribble can he hit three off two dribbles i was facing up a guy going between the legs bombing a three in their face. Again, that's that, that's progress. And it's when, when you're talking about someone the Knicks are probably going to eventually have to give a max contract to, or, or, I mean, if he keeps playing like this, we'll have to give a max contract to. That's the sort of stuff you want to see, that, that sort of linear progression from season to season. And it's been a little up and down so far this year for RJ. Plays like that uh, show you that he's making a real leap. Then a lob to Mitchell Robinson, did a great job of making it look like he was just going to take a layup the whole way. Um, came off a stagger a couple plays later, glided in, got another lob to Mitch. Then a baseline drive, cross court to Kemba Walker, left side corner three, easy money. And, and then we fast forward to the third quarter where he just he just absolutely took over. And he, I mean, he, he looked like um, he, he looked like Kobe Bryant, honestly. Had, had a pretty dirty hesitation move to freeze Josh Hart. That, that was a move that he used all night long, and Hart just couldn't keep up with it. Got all the way to the rim for a layup. Then a reverse spin to deny a screen, Euro step all the way to the rim, another layup. Shot of the game for him. He had a Harden-esque step back. Um, like going, I think it was to the right corner, like stepping back with his, probably it was with his right foot, um, but two or three feet behind the line, drained it, look easy. Uh, probably second best play on the night came right after a lefty high arcing scoop layup over Jonas Valanciunas to beat the shot clock when he, when he really didn't have much of an angle. That was the sort of shot you take when you're insanely hot and it just happened to went in. And, and to your point, Alex, down the stretch, taking over around like a Kemba Taj uh, stagger screen hit a three, then uh, Kaj gave him a little handoff, um, hesitation, burst around Hart, then slipped a pass to Gibson for a dunk, and then capped it all off with a three and some free throws. So just every single part of his game rolling tonight. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny you brought up uh, like Kobe. You know, I, I think we've used this comparison for Julius before as like a understand this is a microcosm, like a, like a micro, not a macro comparison, but his the way that he played at his best in this game was almost, and I, I mean, you know, I understand who I'm talking about here, but it was, it was almost LeBron-esque at times. Like just the, just the play style reminded me of how LeBron generates his points, which is we saw RJ generate enough separation to get inside and use his body to get right to the hoop and just overpower guys. And then he was making, you know, hard shots that way uh, on the inside and, you know, he drew fouls a couple times, like, you know, he, he was kind of doing the whole thing, like getting inside and then and then being able to use his strength to actually finish around the rim rather than before, which we've seen where he has sort of the ability to get there, but hasn't necessarily had the touch to finish. But then on top of it, also just having that pull up shooting ability. I mean, he he hit 
a couple of uh, pull-up threes, if I'm not mistaken. He had that really nice pull-up jumper on the baseline. And then the assists, too, were just gorgeous. I mean, you mentioned the, the lobs to Mitch. I think that he probably throws the best lobs to Mitch on this whole team, which is really saying something because there's a, now a number of great lob passers on this team. We've seen Kemba hit him with a number of good ones as well. But, I mean, RJ just ran some beautiful plays with Mitch, and their, their chemistry just continues to shine through. And, you know, on top of that, he he had some of those other great passes, too. I mean, he literally led the Knicks in every single of the the top three statistical categories in this game, points, rebounds, assists. And, you know, it's not it's not too often on a team this talented that you say that where you have one player that's going to singularly lead you in all those categories. And last year it was Julius Randle most of the time that was doing that. But he was like the singular talent. Last year, this year, this team has, I mean, obviously with Fournier and, and Kemba in the starting lineup as well, plus, you know, still having Julius and now clearly RJ taking the leap that he has, it's going to be a lot harder to to rack up those nights where you're top three in all three major statistical categories this year. And RJ managed to pull it off in this game. And I mean, I just thought, you know, the, the main thing was just like, not that he doesn't always play with poise, but the confidence i think like the poise combined with the confidence in this game was was really palpable for him like some nights you could tell that he just kind of knows he doesn't have it that night and he doesn't really let it show in his body language that much but you could sort of see it in the way that he conducts himself a little bit where he starts to get a little more deferential and you know things like that and maybe doesn't let the trigger fly quite as much in this one i mean he was practically begging for the ball every time down the stretch and he was getting it and then just making big shot after big shot. At one point, shushed the crowd in New Orleans, which looked at best half full anyway, uh, which is kind of kind of crazy. I mean, I understand it's Halloween weekend or whatever, but kind of crazy for a Saturday night game to not have a full building. But even Clyde mentioned at one point, like, can we do a pan of the building? <laughs> they showed it, and it was, like, completely empty. And then he's like, I guess that's what happens if Zion is if your two top players are out right now. You know, nobody comes and sees the games. But um, I mean, RJ for the for the people that were there, he certainly put on a show and certainly uh made a point to kind of shut them up at a certain point with his play. Uh but yeah, honestly, it was it was just a fantastic game for RJ. I hope it's sort of a a build up to something bigger this season and is sort of leading to the the breakout that we sort of saw last season with him too, where he started off the season a little slow and then at a certain point just kind of broke out and, and just rolled for the whole rest of the year and shot like 45% from three and all that. Hopefully this was sort of that tipping point game for him uh, for this year. But I just wanted to take a quick moment and remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by Indeed. And thanks to the great resignation, the job market is filled with once-in-a-generation talent. So how is your organization going to put together an all-star team? Your front office needs an all-star roster. You need Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible, because you can do it all. Attract, interview, and hire all at Indeed. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates that match your job description, and you can even invite them to apply right away. With Indeed Instant Match, 
Over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than those who only see it in search, according to Indeed data. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your post at Indeed.com slash locked on. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked on. Indeed.com slash locked on. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live. Another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone. And you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. So with that, we are back on the Locked On Knicks podcast. And Alex, I think it'd be Worth talking about the end of the game a little bit because this has been an ongoing issue for the – and it, feel, it feels like we're like picking nits, right? This is a team that for 20 years could not win games, and all of a sudden they're winning games, and we're like, well, they're not really closing them out the way we wanted. They, they, they win, but like they could, they could put the pressure on a little bit more. That, it, feel, it, it really it feels, it feels wrong. But the Knicks are good enough that we're in the luxury position of being able to do that, so let, let's do just that. Um, the Knicks should have killed this Pelicans team. This is a team – with Zion Williamson, with Brandon Ingram, that probably doesn't have a lot of business beating the New York Knicks. And without both of them, the starting lineup was Herbert Jones, Jonas Valanciunas, um, Devontae Graham, Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who Mike Breen was inexplicably calling Walker Alexander the entire game. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I, was, I had that in my notes. I was like, did he get like selective dyslexia when it comes yeah. to <laughs> Nikhil Alexander-Walker for some reason? I, don't, I, did, I didn't but, get that. To be clear, Breen... The GOAT, I would say, still the best in the world. He has had a track record the last few years of occasionally messing a name up, but it's normally a one-time thing. So I, I do think... Normally he catches himself. He didn't yeah. catch it the whole game. He just kept... He kept... It was it was switching between it. It's not even like he had it, like, fully on his nose. You know what I think this is? Tell me if this is right. Yeah. It was. Do you think that maybe his natural broadcasting instincts kicked in, which is normally you would see, like... like uh, Randall comma Julius. So then you would like think, Oh, Julius Randall. And that's how you read it. And maybe oh, that's sure. why he was doing Walker Alexander. That's definitely plausible. Or it could have yeah. been just that he had like Kemba Walker in his mind. So he wanted to say Walker first. I don't know. Yeah. I will say, I will say as a play by play guy, um, I do assume it's a little, I've always thought like the irony of doing play by play. And this, this is a weird sidetrack. Is it honestly, it gets easier to some extent as you get better and better jobs because it's, it's, it's much, you, you should know every player in the NBA but it is common when you have to learn a lot of names. Occasionally, you'll you'll flip something and and you'll you'll switch back and forth a bunch of times and you listen back after and you'll say, oh, that sucks. You know, he's he's a human being. But anyways, um, led by still love Mike for the record. Uh, the goat, the goat. Yes. And we'd love to get him on this podcast at some point. Uh, <laughs> Walker, anyways, Walker Alexander and New Orleans somehow came back late in this game, and it was it felt like the Knicks had a chance to really put this one away in the first half, turn into a blowout. But they were just sloppy. Like there was just a number of passes thrown away, 
very iffy defense, like miscommunication that led, I mean, like one time it, it was Devontae Graham going right down the middle of the floor for an open layup. Then he got a wide open three. Randall had a throwaway. Randall had another play where he stayed back on the other end. And this one, this won't really show is like a live ball turnover or a missed shot, but it's it's at least as egregious. Like he's just stayed back and argued a call, which is was occasionally a problem for Randall last year. And I think I think as he's sort of gotten like better, um, that's that's been something that's kind of picked up a little bit. Didn't get back, gave him a layup on the other end. Tibbs was, you could tell, Tibbs was fuming this whole game. He knew the, this, this should not have been competitive. The Knicks should have run over this team. And, and look, give the Pelicans some credit. They played really hard. They, they made a lot of tough shots down the stretch to keep it close. Um, but, Alex, I, I guess the only question here is, do you see this in any way a big-picture concern about this Knicks team? Is this inability, I mean, or, or at least temporary inability, small sample size of two or three games, uh, to close out teams that they absolutely should? I think it's something that because I, I had the same thought during the game, you know, like thinking to myself, like how much, like when do we start worrying about this sort of thing? And I, I think I'm not too worried about it for the moment. I think the main thing is like this: it, closing games is a skill, just like anything else in the NBA, and keeping a hundred percent effort, or at least you know ninety percent or whatever throughout the entire game as a good team to close out a not so good team is an acquired skill. So I I think that there's a certain amount like that some of the players on this team are maybe still getting used to not being able to take their foot off the gas and, you know, learning or learning when it's acceptable to take your foot off the gas and when it isn't Uh, specifically. I mean, the last couple of games, I'm kind of looking at Julius Randle, who I think is just kind of at times just, sort of shut down a, a little bit or just kind of, it seemed like, I mean, especially in this game, it sort of seemed like he came out there with his, his effort switch turned to about 50 or 60% um, and just kind of never switched it all the way on, uh, which, you know, his play both on defense and on offense was pretty uninspired in this game, which sort of was part of what made it. So the Knicks couldn't just like kind of step on the the Pelicans and get over them. Uh, but you know, I, it, it's not to say like, obviously Randall, I'm not going to judge anything about him based off a couple games. I, I don't know what's going on, but you know, I, I just think that in general, like in this game and even at moments in the, the previous game, uh, he's kind of been like sleepwalking a little bit recently. Um, but like I, all in all, yeah, I, I'm not super worried about it yet. I, I think I sort of have the same, the same sentiment is after the bulls game, which is just like a win's a win. And when we look back uh, on, you know, this stretch, like let's say that the Knicks rattle off another three or four games here or something, and suddenly they're, you know, eight and one, nine and one, something like that. Like I don't, we're not going to look back on this and be like, oh, but remember how they only beat the Bulls by a point and how they, you know, let the Pelicans get back in it a few times, like, and, you know, only beat them by six on the night that RJ set his career high, like, we're not really going to care about that. And the Knicks aren't either because ultimately all they have to do is just win games down by any means necessary and tighten all this stuff up by the end of the season. Uh, So yeah, I'm not, I'm not super worried. And maybe they even did just kind of keep them at arm's length because they knew that they had this ability to beat the Pelicans in this game. And even with RJ, I mean, not to say that I don't think that they intentionally wanted the Pelicans to be within a couple possessions late, but you know, they even made a point to give the ball to RJ Barrett and let him sort of deliver the kill shots. And I think that was, that was deliberate as well. I think that they were trying to get him going. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that, 
I, I think they're figuring things out. You know, they're, they're a much better team than they were last, last year, clearly. And I think that it's just a learning curve of figuring out just how little you can try against certain teams. And they just haven't found that perfect balance yet. Obviously, they had the Magic game that they lost, that they had no business losing. They had the Chicago game where they got up pretty big, but then clearly just kind of shut their brains off with about three minutes left in the game and almost gave up like a 13, 14, whatever point lead uh, and almost lost that game. And then, you know, in this game, too, it just kind of was like they would get out by double digits and then it would seem like they would take the foot off the gas a little too much. I think they just have to learn to to deliver that like early kill shot of like, OK, if you get up by like 13, 14 points on a bad team, get up by 25. And then, you know, maybe you could start entertaining the idea of lightening up a little bit, because at that point, you've already kind of broken their spirit. Uh, but clearly, the Pelicans were not feeling too breakable in this game which like shout out to them too i mean their guys despite being in a different talent bracket did play their butts off i gotta say i really liked herb jones i thought he was really really good and also valanchunas i i when initially uh memphis traded him over to the pelicans i was thinking like why did the pelicans basically make a move for a guy who's so similar to adams but Valanciunas' game is like so on a different level at this point. I mean, he plays like almost like a like a less good Embiid sort of at this point. Like, I mean, he's he's just really really good. So, I mean, I think that's going to be pretty fun to watch from a, a neutral observer standpoint. Once Zion and and Brandon Ingram come back, uh, those two with Valanciunas. But anyway, Gavin. Yeah. Long story short, I'm not terribly terribly worried here. All right, fair enough. Uh, are you worried about when your next Bilt Bar shipment is coming in? I never am worried about that because I always try to keep Bilt Bars coming in freely to my house so I can keep eating them uh, and keep, you know, working on, uh, you know, replenishing myself after workouts and stuff. I made this goal uh, over the weekend. I think next year for Halloween, I want to get ripped enough that I can, like, wear a superhero costume like oh yeah you say incredible hulk type stuff i i I was thinking i don't think i could get that big but i was thinking maybe if i could work my arms out enough maybe i could pull off a thor sure and i think i think i want to try it by next halloween so i'm gonna need a lot of built bars over this year luckily they have me covered with tons of delicious flavors i'm gonna be chomping down on some coconut and cookies and cream built bars as well as some of my favorite special flavors as they come out which, again, I've been teasing. I think if it's not out already, Coconut Brownie Chunk is going to be making its valiant return soon. So definitely keep an eye out for that. And I feel great about eating pretty much as many Built Bars as I want because they have 17 to 18 grams of protein per bar and only 4 to 5 grams of sugar, 4 to 5 grams of net carbs, and just 130 to 180 calories. So I feel like I'm eating some Halloween candy. But in reality, I'm just giving my muscles some much needed protein boost to, you know, get me revitalized and hopefully get me as big as Chris Hemsworth by next year. That just sounds silly to even say. But you know what? If I can get to like 60 percent, then maybe I'll feel good about myself. Anyway, if you guys want to, you know, start working out for a a buff Halloween costume next year as well, go to built.com and use promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15 percent off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, so continuing on with this game. Um, 
I'm trying to think of where to go next. I mean, do we want to maybe talk about just how how deadly Walker and Fournier are right now? I mean, I, this is one of those games, and I mean, RJ obviously was the the star of the show here, but this is one of those games with with Kemba and Fournier where every single time that they shot the ball, I thought it was going to go in, and it, they just like everything from them was so wet from beyond the three point line. And like the Knicks were just stupid, stupid efficient from three in this game. They they've been shooting like well over forty attempts per game most games from three. They didn't have to come anywhere near that in this game. They only took thirty three attempts because they made nineteen of them, which was fifty seven point six percent for the game, which is just like an eye popping number uh, to shoot for an entire game for a team. And it was largely due to the fact that. It was almost all out of the starting lineup. Like Julius Randle shoots two for two, which for all the faults he hit, I think both of those pretty early. I know the one was during this like initial barrage that the Knicks had where they went up 14 to three. And I forget exactly when Julius hit the second three pointer. I think it might've also been pretty early on, but so he goes two or two Kemba goes four or seven. Uh, Fournier goes five of eight and RJ goes six of eight. Just insane shot making in this game. But, it, like, I don't know. What were your thoughts? I just thought that this game, for all of its faults about them not kind of putting screws to New Orleans and, and you know, pushing away faster in this game, I thought that their shot making was just, like, next level amazing in this one. And I, I kind of just watched this team now, and I'm like, based off how good of looks they're generating at their best, I feel like once they're running, like, a well-oiled machine by around, like, the All-Star break or so, I, I don't understand how teams are going to be able to defend them. And I don't understand how regression is even possible if they can generate looks this good. Yeah. I mean, they've look, they, they've been insane on offense. They're, they're currently second in the NBA in offensive efficiency this season. And it, I think you can, you can give a lot of the credit to, to Kemba and Fournier. And I love the, like when, when Kemba Fournier and Julius Randle get into those little passing sequences it feels like they can just rip defenses apart again there's just too much shooting too much skill between the three of them um and 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 evan fournier i think right now is, is the chief beneficiary like obviously he, he's getting a lot of shot creation but he gets these easy looks every single game like there's this beautiful like tic-tac-toe passing sequence where ramble got it to kemba who got it to fournier and then and then the self-creation from fournier he's like this great like in the mid-range game his ability to stop on a dime hard pump, get his defender up in the air, and then just gets really good elevation on his jumper, rise right over them and finish it. Um, and then the passing, like he had a drive and, and sort of like flipped his hips in midair to kick it to Alec Burks out for three, had another baseline drive, shuffled the ball over RJ, RJ shimmied it over to Mitch, Mitch got a layup, um, one dribble off the bounce into a wing three, pump, sidestep, another three, that was absolutely nasty. Like you, you saw the full the full scope from Evan Fournier, like the threes off the catch, the self-creation threes, the, the creation for others, the mid-range game. I mean, he's just, he's someone who has a very complete skill set. And then Kemba Walker, a guy whose whole career has had a very complete skill set, is still not getting to the rim as much as you'd like. But again, he's he's like, he's having like Steph Curry's best season on opiates. It, it's, it's a different level right now. He opened the game with a three. He got such easy separation on this little jab step that shows you the athleticism is still there it was flashbacks to the big East tournament for me. And then the last three hit was just nuts. It was to get it to, I think it was to like 111, 100. He had like a lefty sidestep three, whoever was guarding him. Maybe it was Graham. Maybe it was someone else stayed right on him. And he just put this 
nutso arc on it. Like it, it went seemingly 10 feet over the backboard, swished in, and he's just in such a zone right now. And to your point, it, it's fun to watch because there's just all three of those guys are making each other better every single game. And it feels like a, a little unstoppable right now. Maybe part of that is, is the not so great competition that the Knicks have played. But I, I just I don't see what teams are going to do against those guys. Yeah, and I mean, I think the Knicks schedule at this point, too, they played six games. I think it's been against, like, three nobody teams and three probable playoff teams. The yeah. Bulls, Bulls, Celtics, and uh, uh, who the hell am I forgetting? Bulls, Celtics. Philly. Philly, duh, yeah. <laughs> that one was extra forgettable because they were so bad against the Knicks. They were probably they put up the worst showing of any of the, the good Yeah, I, I was shocked when I was just looking at that list. Like, Philly was the only team ahead of the Knicks in offensive rating, which kind of stunned me. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of nuts. Um, I mean, that I guess that's just a testament to how well the Knicks game planned for them the other night. But, yeah, I mean, I think they've played a pretty good schedule. And, like, they're going to face Toronto now uh, tonight when this podcast is launching on Monday. And, you know, they're going to go into that game against a team that has been surprisingly overachieving so far this year, at least to my eye, with how good Scotty Barnes has been. Um, so, you know, I, I think that they've got another test on their hands here to, you know, see just how good they look. But what's what's crazy is that they've looked roughly the same against pretty much every team so far this year. It seems like they're like out of all six games, and this includes the Magic game where obviously they wound up losing. But that game, they just obviously came out with extremely subpar effort. But so I guess I should say they haven't looked like this in every single game. That's the one exception. And that one clearly was just kind of an outlier. But all the rest of the games, they come out and pretty much look like they're in a different class from all these teams they've been facing. And then the closing has just kind of been the the issue for them right now. But starting out games or whatever, they're like, it, it's almost like if this was like an NFL thing, like if they, you know, they're coming out and and getting up 24 nothing in the first quarter every game and then you know giving up death by a million cuts until it gets down to a a game winning field goal at the end for the opposing team to potentially win it you know uh by like two points or whatever so you know it's 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 been sort of an interesting journey so far but i think that all in all yeah they they just look so good all the time right now and, and it's 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 really starting to make me like wonder just how good this team is going to be this year. And I think that they're the only ones that can potentially hold themselves back, I guess is sort of my, my thought on it. Like it, the only way that this team can, it, it's, it's not to say that they're not going to just lose by getting outclassed by some teams some nights, but it seems like by and large, it's just like you need the effort level there for everybody. Everybody needs to be bought in on defending every night. Everybody needs to be bought in on team basketball every night, which we've already seen, you know, the Knicks a few times devolve into like ISO ball a few times this year, which just makes no sense considering the awesome passers that they have on this team. But as long as they break all those bad habits, I think the sky's really the limit. Like, I, I wonder if, I mean, we brought this up during our like season predictions uh, show with like Knicks film school and stuff. If there's a chance that the Knicks might flirt with like the three seed this year or maybe even higher. I mean, who knows? This might this might turn into one of those years like 12-13 where they end up like the 2 seed um and end up in the, you know, 50 something win category or even even more than that. And of course, we'll have to see, I mean, there is going to be some point every team goes through it where this team will slump. There will be a, a mini losing streak at some point, I think. 
you know, I, I don't think that the, I think this team is actually too talented to lose more than like three or four games in a row. But there will be something that will kind of test their metal at a certain point. And we'll, we'll have to see how that goes when they get there, too. But I, I'm allowing myself to dream a little bit with this team. And maybe this seems like a weird game to say that after when they like barely beat the the Pelicans here. But I think we've just seen all these glimpses in every single game that all the stuff that we thought bringing Kemba and Fournier on could do is happening. And this offense is like legitimately elite. And their defense is actually doing uh, – well, I don't know where it's at after the Pelicans game. It might yeah, they're, they're average. They're 15th in defensive efficiency. Yeah, yeah, they were they were going into last night's game too. I think they were sitting at fifteenth, and they were at like uh, defensive rating of like one hundred six or something. But last year they actually had a defensive rating of one hundred seven. It's just the numbers have been way down across the league this year so far. But their mm-hmm. offense is good even by last year's standards. So you know they're they're in a really good spot right now, and I'm I'm really excited to see what what things are going to hold over these next couple months here, and just how good this team can be by like. Christmas, for example, like yeah. going into that game against the Hawks, I, I think that's going to be a really, really exciting matchup. It, it, and it's so weird, right? Because the schedule is just, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now, but it, it's pretty light for the first 15 games or so of the season. I remember we did, this was months ago when the schedule first came out, we did a pod and we were sort of discussing what, like just how, like what, what constitutes success for the Knicks um, early in the season. And we were saying, um, you know, the problem they start 12 and three and or 12 and four and everyone was like, that's that's a little lofty. But you, you look at what they have upcoming after this. You mentioned Toronto tonight, then at Indiana, very winnable game at Milwaukee, like plausible Cleveland, Philly, Milwaukee again. But then it gets easier. Charlotte, Indiana, Orlando, Houston, Chicago. And then and then you start looking at things getting difficult. We mentioned like I, I remember on that pod, like midseason, the Knicks have kind of like an insane West Coast swing where they play. Uh, Memphis, oh, they play Miami. Oh, here we go. I'll start from the beginning. LA, Cleveland, Miami, Milwaukee, Sacramento, Memphis, uh, LA again, Utah, Denver, Golden State. Um, so there's, there, there are certainly stretches this year that things get really, really hard. And that will, I'm, I'm interested to see just how the Knicks hold up, like from an injury perspective, how guys hold up to greater minutes. If, if Tibbs can continue like mixing the bench in the way he wants to against these bad teams or, or against good teams, I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic. Uh, final, uh, specific note in this one thought it was again, like a little bit of a lackadaisical game for Julius Randall. And then the bench, like no one, no one really they got again, lifted up by RJ, but no one really stood out for me. At least Taj, Taj was good when he came in. I mean, Taj is always solid when he comes in, but outside of him, I'm just going through it right now. Al- Alec Burks, I, I will say 10 points, 13 minutes. Did have a nice assist. He, he was he was pretty good, but um, not a standout game for anyone on the bench. This really felt like RJ and the RJs at the end of the day. Yeah, it was basically. I mean, it was all the starters more or less in this game. Like it was it was RJ, Kemba, Fournier were like the big stories to me in this game. And you know, like I said, I, I already said I'm not going to beat a dead horse. Like I just I don't think this is like a trend for Julius, but I didn't think this was the best game for him. He just like. Even his body language, and I mean, I talked about his body language in another game too. The the Orlando loss I talked about, you know, he still has a tendency to sort of have this weirdly sulky body language sometimes out there, and I saw those same things up in this game, and you know, it which was kind of weird because the team was crushing at some of those moments, yet he seemed a little disinterested for whatever reason, um, which I'm not going to 
try to guess, you know, what's going on in his head or whatever. But uh, I thought Obi, you know, despite not stuffing the stat sheet that much, I thought that he, I mean, he only got 10 minutes, but I thought they were productive, mostly on the defensive end. Uh, he's drawing a lot of praise from Clyde these days on defense, which I think is always some of the highest praise because Clyde is like a real defensive stickler. Um, so, you know, it's, it, I think that he should feel pretty good about that. Uh, Obi should. But I thought that he did pretty well with what he was asked to do. Taj, yeah, to your point, like, awesome. He he struggled a little bit with fouling, and that's been sort of a consistent theme. So maybe it's a good thing that pretty soon he's going to be the third-string center again because he's he's been, like, kind of a wild man out there with the fouls uh, through preseason. And then, like, because we obviously saw that with the last game in preseason when it forced Mitch into playing, like, 30 minutes right after coming back from his injury. Um you know, and he's had a number of other kind of close calls in like 20 minutes where he's getting close to fouling out. So, you know, one of those, but otherwise, I mean, he's just all over the place. He's like a whirling dervish, which is just insane still that he's doing that at like 36 years old. Uh, yeah, Rose kind of was, didn't really do much, but I mean, that's the luxury of having Kemba and Rose is that if Rose isn't playing well and Kemba is, you just play Kemba more minutes, which they did. Kemba played 32 and Rose played 15 in this game. Um, Burks, yeah, I thought was okay. I, I didn't totally, I wasn't in love with his shot selection at times, but I, he also wasn't like bad. I don't know. He was just kind of meh and quickly. I didn't really love his, his game. And I, I continue to be sort of unimpressed with it, which sucks. Cause we just, if you haven't listened to it already, go listen to our, our episode with Mir and Fader from over the weekend from the ringer who wrote the really nice piece on quickly. We had like a really good discussion about him, but his play on the court so far this year, I've been very much less than impressed with. Like in this game, one of five, three points. Um, he he managed to hit one really nice layup where he got inside and you know just kind of sliced to the hoop and had a nice finish there. But other than that, I mean, he's just he just continues to just jack threes, like, but not make them, which is the the really perplexing part. Like he was zero of two from three in this game and. It, they never even look close. It's just really weird. And he also, I mean, the other thing too was that he he sort of squandered a good moment by doing a bad thing right after, which was he made that really nice layup. And, you know, I, I thought that was great. And I was like, okay, cool, more of that or something. Or break down the defense then and generate a look for someone else. And then his his next move right after that was literally like 15 seconds later, the Knicks get the ball back after a defensive stop. And he, you know, walks up to the line for a, a transition three-pointer and I'm just like dude that shot has not been going in for you this year like just try something different like it's just it's not working right now so just chill with the the transition pull-up threes until maybe you start making some like spot-up looks and stuff then then maybe progress back towards you know pull-up threes and step back threes and all that good stuff that you were hitting last year and whatever but there's just clearly something I don't know if it's like mental or if if it has to do with I mean he did clearly put on some muscle mass last year and like putting on muscle does change how you shoot the basketball. Cause suddenly you have to relearn your body's uh, strength levels to figure out what that sweet spot is to, to get the ball. And especially considering quickly shoots it like, so like a, uh, like a trebuchet sort of jumper anyway, where it's like, yeah. he, he has like a long windup and clearly puts a lot of force into it when he shoots it. Um, it's clear that he's sort of working through some stuff with that, but. I just wish you would kind of chill out with the the jacking tons and tons of threes at this point. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't think I really have too much more to touch on in this game. Uh, do you have anything else you wanted to 
talk about before we sign off? No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you and quickly. Um, yeah. I, it's been a frustration of mine and I'm hoping it comes around. Um, but that's a good note as any to end on. So uh, thank you as always for listening. Um, if we love you if you listen on podcast form, but please also go listen on YouTube and see, see our wonderful faces. Throw us a subscription. Uh, Alex will be doing drawings on some nights. You, you really, you don't want to miss it. Um, but that is it. see my Jets jersey tonight. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Let's go. You, is, that, is that a Mike White jersey? No, it's not. No, this is a, uh, no, this is my Elijah jersey. But, you know, uh, maybe I will. You know, the QB of the future. 400 yeah. yards, first game. Can't beat it. Zach Wilson's going to be a great backup. All right, yeah. that's it for Locked on Knicks. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we will be back tomorrow night for a recap of the Knicks game against the Toronto Raptors. Until then, be good. Peace out. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.